good morning. If you'll turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, if you have a copy of God's Word. If you don't, it will be on our screen this morning as well. Philippians chapter 2 is we're in week 9 of a series that we've entitled Joyful. Uh, We started this series when we were in the middle of our kind of dispersal of the local church, and now that we're back together, we're continuing that. My name's Aaron. I get to be the teaching pastor here, and we're so glad you're here. Uh, Before we get into Philippians chapter 2, I was thinking about something this morning. The Lord has just been like echoing this in my spirit, and I just want to remind us of this. So this is free, has nothing to do with the message. Um, What did you have for breakfast 17 days ago? I don't know. (laughs) What would you eat for dinner 13 days ago? Salad. (laughs) Taking off our our quarantine weight, right? Our COVID-21. What did did you have for lunch this day last month? You see, what's interesting is when we try to think back, now there's a few meals I could probably ask you about. I could tell you about the time seven years ago, or probably six years ago in Cincinnati when I had the best steak of my life. I could tell you about some breakfast buffets that I've been to occasionally throughout my life. But it's the everyday common meals that we often just can't remember much about. You realize that? I want you to think about this. It's the everyday common meals that I often forget about that are the ones that continue to keep me alive. Why do we come together each Sunday morning and open the Word of God as a church family? Why do we encourage everybody in our church to uh, daily engage with the Scriptures? There's going to be a few times when you're doing your daily devotions where you come to a church service and like, man, it's going to be something that the Lord just rains down His presence upon you. He teaches you something that's going to stick with you for years. But sometimes it's in the daily and weekly pattern and habit of just consuming the Word of God that's going to keep us alive spiritually. But you notice one thing that most Christians do before we eat every meal? We thank God that there's a meal sitting before us. Lord has just been echoing that in my heart this morning, that we get to do this. And these little meals that we consume each week, each and every day, they keep us alive as Christians. They keep us close to Jesus. Some of you are like, you just say amen, pray, and let's go home, right? That was, that was a good word. Anyways, Philippians chapter 2, if you will stand with me in honor of reading God's word at Living Hope, we think the word of God is a big deal, and we want to honor that uh, as the foundation of every message we teach. Philippians 2, Paul continues to write to the church in Philippi as he is under house arrest there in Rome. And he says these words, just two verses today. Paul says, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, verse 2, make my joy complete, By thinking the same way, having the same love, unified in spirit, intent on one purpose. Let's pray. Jesus, thanks again for this day, Father, for the privilege we have to gather as your church and your people celebrating you. Father, we pray today we make much of Jesus. Lord, would you give us the ears we need to hear from you this morning? The hearts we need, God, to receive your word willingly. And Father, the hands and feet to live out the truths, Lord, that you uh, bring to light today. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Today, quickly, I want to talk about the one 
thing that I believe more than anything else has the potential to destroy a church. The one thing that if we leave this unchecked, that has the ability to take local churches in which God has built and completely crumble them in a matter of weeks. And I want to do that this morning. I don't often do this, but I want to do that this morning using a simple mousetrap. Now, for me and the house I grew up in, and many of you know my mom, mice were never going to be an issue in our house, all right? But more recently, for some reason, and where I live now, uh, I live close to a metro park now, it seems like mice have just become an issue for our family, especially about two years ago when all this started. One evening, my wife and I, we were sitting on the couch. We were watching a classic 90s film, Jurassic Park. Y'all remember Jurassic Park? It was late in the evening, probably 9.30 or so, and I'm leaning on the left side of the couch. It was one of the most intense scenes in the entire movie. The raptors had just shown up. You all remember that from Jurassic Park? You talk about some, some, some 90s CGI will mess you up if you're watching Jurassic Park and it's a little bit dark. And I'm sitting there on our, our couch and I'm completely engulfed in this movie. My stress level's high, my blood pressure is up, my pulse is going. And out of the corner of my eye, as I'm leaning on that couch on the left-hand side, I saw in my peripheral vision something furry run across my arm and touch me. And friends, without missing a beat, I jumped about four and a half feet into the air. I spun around like I was a daggone ninja and landed on the floor only in that moment to see a mouse run across, just scurry across the back of my couch. At this point, Liz has no clue what's going on. I just screamed the word mouse, to which Liz jumped four and a half feet into the air. She was not nearly as graceful as I was. She, I think... If I remember correctly, she's watching on the stream over in the kids' area this morning. If I remember correctly, I think she face-planted onto our hardwood floors. All this happening in a period of about two seconds. Like, this is a lot's going on. You know how time stands still when adrenaline's really high? That's what's going on in our life. So we know at this point that there's a mouse in our living room. So my wife and I, we're freaking out. She's grabbing a broom. I think I grabbed a pan or two. We start to create this obstacle course in our living room. Like, why create an obstacle course? We're trying to contain the mouse because I'm, I'm a fairly humane person, all right? And so I open the back door. We create this obstacle course for the mouse. I'm screaming under the couch trying to get it to come out, trying to get that thing just to run outside. But rather, what actually happened is the mouse scurried out from underneath our couch. He ran up to the obstacle course. We had created this wall of chairs and everything we could find. And I thought to myself, this is going to work. To which the mouse then, like, leapt. I didn't know mice could jump, but apparently they can. The mouse goes, whoop, over top of everything and runs into the basement. <laughs> now, I'm here to tell you this morning that that mouse is now with Jesus. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I tried over those next week or two, because now I knew I had a mouse problem, a variety of traps to try to catch these mice. I tried a variety of humane traps. I tried some of the ones where they could just run in and you capture them and you set them outside, all that kind of stuff, sticky traps, all that kind of thing. Until I realized, you know what the cheapest, most effective way to catch a mouse is? A mouse trap. And what's interesting, I mean, the Lord just kept taking me back to a mouse trap as I was reading Philippians chapter 2 this week. Because a mousetrap is an incredibly simple device. You can buy a whole pack of these for like a buck. It's really only made up about a five different pieces. There's not much to a mousetrap. That's why it's so cheap. 
But here's what's interesting about these mousetraps. You know there's not a single piece that you can take off of this mousetrap for it to still work effectively? If you've ever heard a creation discussion before where they talk about uh, creation, they, they, they call that the irreducible complexity of a mousetrap. Every piece is important. It's the Donato slogan, right? Every, every piece of a mousetrap is equally important to the overall function of a mousetrap. You remove any part of this, it doesn't work. If any piece of the mousetrap breaks, you have to throw it away. It's no longer functional in its capacity. Each piece serves a purpose. You know, the Lord taught me several years ago when I was 18 years old that every, almost every item in this world can be used as a gospel illustration. And God over the years has taught me using simple everyday items, he has been able to illustrate biblical truth for me to help me as a very limited human understand some of the complexities of his, his word. And this week it's been this idea of a mousetrap. Because in Philippians chapter 2, the topic we're going to cover today is this idea of unity in the local church. The one thing that if lost will absolutely destroy a church. The one thing if we don't fight for has the potential to crumble a local church. And I think a mousetrap perfectly illustrates unity. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that God, when he creates the local church, that God calls together a variety of people from a variety of various backgrounds with a variety of different opinions. First Corinthians chapter 12 says that God assembles them into what is known as the local body of Christ. Every person has a unique giftedness to serve them within the context of that local community. Uh, if you're part of a local church, the church doesn't exist for you. You actually exist for the other people within the context of that church. That's a very biblical thing that Paul talks about throughout his letters. And in the context of that local church, we have all these various pieces that we come together to form the body of Christ in order to serve one another and then also to take the gospel out to our community. Each piece serves a purpose. But what often happens within local churches? You know, when you get two items together and they begin rubbing each other, what happens? Friction occurs. With friction creates heat. Heat ultimately will create a fire. That's what happens in churches. I have an opinion. You have an opinion. Our opinions don't agree. What, what happens? Friction. And if we don't seek to be unified with one another, what happens? A fire. What happens with fires? Fires destroy things most often. And so in the local church, and I think what we're going to see here in Philippians chapter 2 is what we're going to see is the local church is made up of a variety of different pieces where we all function together. But if one is broken, one goes rogue, or one decides, you know what, I just don't want to be part of that anymore. What happens biblically? It's no longer functional. The local church can no longer serve its intended purpose because all of the pieces are not functioning the way they were intended to. It's the irreducible complexity of the local church. Every piece has a purpose and it's necessary. Philippians chapter 1 verse 27, we saw this last week as we closed out chapter 1. Paul told the folks in Philippians and he tells us as well, just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel gospel of Christ. He says, then whether I come to you or I'm absent, I'm going to hear about you. And we said this last week, that you're standing firm in one spirit, there's unity, in one accord, there's unity, contending together for the faith of the gospel, together, there's unity. Paul continues this discussion of unity now for us in chapter 2, and what I want us to see today, we see in Philippians 1.27 that unity is necessary in the local church. It's a command from Jesus 
Now in verses 1 and 2 of Philippians 2, Paul actually gives us the why. Why should you and I, if we identify with a local body of believers made up of these little churches, these bodies of Christ, why do we need to regularly fight for unity in our churches? I'm going to give you the answer, and then we're going to dive into this a little bit deeper. Here's the answer. Why do we fight for unity? Because a broken world was going to be astounded by a unified church. Think about that. When a church actually functions rightly, you take this totally diverse group of people, culturally diverse, economically diverse, vocationally diverse, politically diverse, this diverse group of people that choose to unite in purpose of helping people find and follow Jesus for the glory of God in all eternity. And we unite around that idea, and then we have to fight to stay united. Let me show you four things real quick as to why. Why do we fight for unity? Here's the first one. First one is this. We were called near. We were called near to Jesus. Look at verse 1 again. Paul says, if then, if then there is any encouragement in Christ. So the first driving force for you and I to seek unity and to fight for unity within our church is encouragement in Christ. Many of us, I'm sure, we're familiar with what the word encouragement means. Let me tell you this. Um, if you don't own or have a website bookmarked of a Bible concordance, you need to get one, all right? This is so important for the study of God's Word because sometimes English words don't do justice to the depth of biblical meaning. We understand what encouragement means, but the Greek word that Paul chooses to use here, this is so important. Paul says that we're actually called beside someone. That's the word we translate unity. You are called beside Christ is the very first thing he says in verse 1. Think of it this way. Last year on my birthday, I turned 32 years old. I told our kids director this morning, technology is not making sense to me anymore, so I feel like I'm starting to finally get old, right? 32 years old. Some of you are like, you're just a baby. I know, I've heard it. Get over it. But I remember last year on my birthday, my oldest daughter, she was seven years old at the time, she walked in, and for my birthday, she had made me this little card. She makes the sweetest little cards for people on their birthdays and special holidays. So she had just taken a piece of paper, drawn all over it, drew a picture. I think it was of me and her or something like that. And she just the sweetest little card. She said, hey, Daddy, I got you this for your birthday. I'll take a million of those over anything else. She gave me that, that little card, and, and here's what happened. The moment she handed it to me, she said, here, Daddy, and she began to walk away. And I opened that thing up, and, and I, I just loved it. And I looked at her. I said, Sophia, come here. And as she walked back to me, what do we typically do as parents? I took my arm out, she walked right into my side, I wrapped my arm around her, and I pulled her in close to me. That's Paul's word here in verse 1 for us. When Paul talks about that we have this encouragement in Christ, Paul says, you've been drawn close to Jesus. Notice this too in verse 1, this is important, your, your Bible might translate this differently. My, my Bible translation says, if then there's any encouragement in Christ. Your Bible might say, therefore, since there is encouragement in Christ. Or it might just say, since there is encouragement in Christ. The, the indication here and the, 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 the thing that we need to understand is that Paul's saying these statements I'm making are true. All right? If then there is. Paul's saying this is true. We could even translate this. If this is helpful for you, write the word since above that. That's, that's what's going on there. Paul says, since there is encouragement in Christ. What? Jump down to verse 2 because these little statements he makes are then going to tie into verse 2. What's Paul say? Since you've been called near to Jesus, you've been drawn into him, what does he tell us to do? Think the same way, verse 2. 
have the same love, be united in spirit, and be intent on one purpose. Now watch this. Since you've been called near to Jesus, what's the command? Be unified. Fight for unity. Now think about this for a second. What's the first driving force for you and I to fight for unity in the context of our local church? We've been invited into a relationship with Jesus, and he said so. You know how simple that is? If somebody ever comes to me, Pastor Aaron, why should we fight for unity in our church? Because Jesus saved you, and he said so. You know, 100 times in the New Testament, we are called by Jesus to fight for unity, to be together, to stand in one accord. You get the picture. Paul reminds us in this very first part, you are an enemy of God. But Jesus lovingly stuck his arm out, invited you into his side, and now we owe him everything because of that. And he says, because I've called you in, you fight for unity. Because if unity is lost in the church, the world's going to take note. You know the local church is a visible representation of an invisible God? Have you thought about that? If we're the body of Christ, Jesus had a physical body once for 33 and a half years. Now he has a physical body all over planet Earth in little local churches. When the world looks at our church, they should see Jesus. But if there's disunity in the church, what do you think they see? Goodness, not a Jesus I want to portray. And because Jesus has called me in, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to fight for unity. Here's the second one. Paul says, number two, the reason we fight for unity is peace was declared. Look at, look at what he says in this next part of verse one. If there's, if there's any consolation of love, it's the only time in the New Testament Paul chooses to use this word. We know what it means to console somebody, right? You got that, you're already drawing them in. Now you're consoling them. You're providing peace. You're providing calm. You're providing comfort for them. Years ago, when my family had a dog, we used to have this mutt that we got from the pound. My wife loved that dog. I did not like that dog, but I loved my wife, so we kept it. Thankfully, we moved into a rental house where we couldn't have dogs, so now I don't have a dog. Anyways, I remember shortly after we got that dog, that that dog hated being in his crate, and thunderstorms terrified him. He actually one time got so afraid being in his crate, he ate the plastic bottom out of the crate. 40-pound dog consumed it. <laughs> I don't understand. But anyways, one evening we were at home, and our dog was shaking because it was storming outside. He was terrified, just absolutely terrified, shaking to death. And so my wife found this thing online called a thunder shirt. Y'all seen these? Don't act like you support these. I'm teasing. I'm totally teasing. A thunder shirt is a $50 piece of stretchy cloth with Velcro on each end that you wrap around your dog because it makes them feel secure. I get the idea. I understand it. It's $50. But I love my wife, so I bought it. And it's crazy how they work. Because you just wrap your dog in it. You, you totally envelop them in this. And they, they feel tightly cozied up in this thunder shirt. And what does it do? It consoles them. It brings them peace and comfort and calm. What does Paul tell us here in verse 1, this little second part? Paul says, you've been comforted, consoled by the love of Jesus. Right? We were enemies of God. That's that first part. Jesus stood in the gap for us. Romans chapter 8 says that he endured the wrath of God on our behalf. And now because of what Jesus has done for us, we have complete access and peace with the God of the universe. We have now been enveloped and covered and consoled by the love of Jesus. Therefore, I no longer have to fear the wrath 
of God because of Jesus. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, it'll be up there. John writes these words around this topic. He said, there's no fear in love. Instead, what does perfect love do? It drives out fear. It's gone. I've got to experience perfect love in Jesus so fear is gone because fear involves what? Punishment. I don't fear the wrath of God anymore because of what Jesus has done for me. Now, let's go back to what we said just a minute ago. Because now I have peace with God, what do I do? Verse 2, Paul says, you think the same way, you have the same love, you be united in spirit, and you be intent in one purpose. Because Jesus gave me peace with God, Jesus turns around and says, now fight for unity. Why, Jesus? Because I secured peace with God for you. Now I get to make the rules. Fight for unity in the context of the local church. That's what I want you to do. Over 100 times we're told to do that in the New Testament. When for Jesus, I wouldn't have peace with God. But because of what Jesus has done for me, you know what I'm going to do? What he says. And he says to fight for unity. Here's the third one. There's, man, he's just going to build on each other. Two more. Paul says that we get to know God. Look at this next part of verse 1. If there's any fellowship with the Spirit. Fellowship with the Spirit. I got, I, I got a lot of little stories there I want to share today. I just, these are just coming. 11 years ago. This is pretty neat. 11 years ago yesterday, I met my wife for the very first time. Ohio University, Lancaster, Ohio. I rolled up in my dad's green F-150. She got out of a, a church van. I was wearing my baseball cap and my plaid and my shoes. She thought I was a country boy. If you all know me, you know that ain't true. <laughs> she fell in love in an instant, right? I just walked out, my hair, my flowing locks in the wind. It was, it was just like a scene from a movie. You could just see her over there just, just totally. She was gone. Two weeks after that, we went on our first date. My wife lived out, I always tell her, she lived out in the woods of, of Sugar Grove, Ohio. And so I always joke with her that I actually rescued her from the woods, right? <laughs> took, her out, took her out of that situation, brought her into where the real people are. But uh, first date, I went to go pick her up. Our first date, which is hilarious, was actually out to dinner and we went to church. Fitting, right? With what we do now. And I actually showed up to her house 20 minutes early. That's creepy. It was the first date. So what I did was I actually stopped at the bottom of her driveway. She had a real long driveway. And I just drove 10 minutes because I was 20 minutes early. So I just drove 10 minutes in one direction. Once 10 minutes hit, I pulled in a driveway, and I drove 10 minutes back. I showed up right on time. That's free dating advice. If anybody needs that, you can, you can use that. So I went inside. I met her parents. Her dad was sitting at the kitchen table. He was writing a Bible study because he was teaching at church that night. I still remember what he taught. Every member is a minister. I don't know why I remember that. She got in the car, and she, she jokes with me to this day. She said, Aaron, from the moment that we stepped into your car to the moment you dropped me off later that night, you never stopped talking. The whole time. Now, what's interesting is if, again, if, if you've been part of Living Hope any length of time, or uh, if, you, if you will be eventually, one thing you'll learn about me is I'm an introvert, like an extreme introvert. I can turn on the extrovert when I need to, but I prefer just to be chill and quiet. It's just how God has wired me. But I was just chatting away with her this whole, because I was so nervous. I, I just couldn't believe like, that she would actually go on this date with me. And so I was just talking and, and chatting away. And I got to thinking about this yesterday evening. We took our, our girls out yesterday, and we just spent the day together. Um, Eleven years later, my wife is now my best friend. Like, she knows me better than any person on this planet. She, she knows everything about me except my birthday, which is hilarious. You can harass her for that. <laughs> she gets my birthday wrong every year. My birthday's August 25th. She thinks it's August 22nd. She gets it wrong every year. Three days ahead. Three days ahead. I guess she's an overachiever. But she's my best friend. 
It's amazing how over an 11-year period, I told her this last night, I said, babe, can you believe 11 years ago we were strangers, now we're best friends. 11 years ago, I didn't know anything about you. I said, now, 11 years later, I know everything about you. I know, I know everything about you. And the same is true for her. And Paul reminds us, watch, look at this verse again, verse, 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 uh, verse 1 in chapter 2. He's reminding us in the Philippians. He says, you've been called into relationship with Jesus. Remember, he called us to his side. We have peace with God now. But then he builds on this. So everything's building here. He says, now you have fellowship with the Spirit. The idea of fellowship there that Paul wants us to see today is this idea of getting to know somebody. It's actually a word that describes a deep, intimate relationship that you have with another individual. It's a closeness with who? God. Because we've been called to Jesus' side, because we now have peace with God, we can now have access to God to get to know him better. I've been walking with Jesus now for 17 years. June 6, 2003. been walking with Jesus. You know, the longer I walk with him, the more I get to know him. Jesus knows everything about me, but I'm never going to learn everything about him. It's an ongoing journey of fellowship with the Spirit that I was invited into because of the work of Jesus on the cross. Now watch, we're going to go back to this again. Paul says, now, since you can know God personally, what does Jesus want from you? Think the same way. Have the same love. Be united in spirit, intent on one purpose. He says, you've been invited to know the God of the universe. My goodness, what a privilege that is for you and me. And because of that, what do we do? We seek unity in the church. We fight for it. Why? Because Jesus makes the rules. He secured that for us. He makes the rules. And what does he tell us to do? You fight for unity in the local church because when the world sees your church, they should see me. That's what I need you to do. Here's our fourth one and we're done. He's changing me. I love, this is my favorite part of this whole verse. Paul says, if there's any affection and mercy. This part's fun. Watch this. Both of these words, affection and mercy, are actually uh, words that in the Greek, they actually describe human insides. All right? It's actually uh, the, word, the word mercy there. I'm going to jack this word up so you can look it up on your own. But it's actually a Greek word. It's, you say it like splogna, right? It's almost like baloney with a little like German hint to it. Plogna. That's the actual Greek word there, splogna. You just say that word and you just think intestines for some reason. It's like splogna. But watch this. Mercy, mercy is a reference to our heart. Affection in the Greek there is a reference to our bowels. Those are two different words that Paul is using here. Watch, this is so cool. You know that gut feeling that you get sometimes? Like when a situation is just like not right like something's just like in your insides, just kind of like churns and makes you a little bit uncomfortable. You're like, I don't know why this doesn't feel right, but something just doesn't feel right about this. You know what we call that in Christian circles? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. You know the Holy Spirit still talks to his kids? That the Holy Spirit will guide and direct you, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. That's a very biblical thing. We call that the, the Holy Spirit. Now, what's the lesson for us here? We're going to land the plane. Paul wants us to see drawn into Jesus' side. I have peace with God. I'm getting to know the God of the universe. And in that relationship, what's happening to me? He's changing me from the inside out. You know, Christianity is not an external in religion. 
It's actually an inside-out religion. That's one of the things that makes us distinct from every other world religion. We believe that the Spirit of God, Romans chapter 8, dwells inside of us and changes our hearts from the inside out, and it spills over to who we are. It cha- that's our slogna, that affection and mercy. Paul says your affections and the way that you care for people, Jesus is changing that inside of you. And because that is true, what do we do? You think the same way, you have the same love, you're united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Jesus is changing you, so what do you do? You fight for unity in the church. Do we see the, the, the commonality here? Jesus secured all of these things for us, and he makes the rules. And what does he tell us to do? You fight for unity in your church, because if you don't, a lost and dying world is not going to know who I am because of how they view you. But a church that is perfectly unified, chasing the same mission, one and together, one accord, the world can look at and go, wow, that's what Jesus looks like. I want a part of that. Our driving force is Jesus. We want to be the hands of Jesus, the feet of Jesus. We want to have the heart of Jesus. So we fight for unity. Simple mousetrap, y'all. Every one of us in this church has a purpose and a task, and we're part of a bigger puzzle known as Living Hope Church. Don't be a piece of the puzzle, a piece of the mousetrap that decides to go rogue, that decides to create friction, that decides to do any of those things. No, instead, let's lean into the fact that I was an enemy of God, now I'm a friend of God, called to closeness with God. I get to know God, and God is changing me. And since Jesus did all of those things for me, I'm going to do what he says over 100 times in the Bible, and I'm going to fight for unity in this church so that the world can know Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for your word, for this time, for these people. Father, thank you for your spirit and the opportunity and the privilege that we have to gather today. God, may your word not fall on deaf ears this morning, Lord, but may it navigate its way to our hearts today. Father, may it change us from the inside out. May your spirit do a cleansing work in our hearts this morning. Father, thank you that you've called together a variety of people from a variety of backgrounds to fulfill your purpose in this portion of Columbus, Ohio. Father, I pray that when you gaze from heaven, that you see a church completely unified, chasing after the mission of helping people find and follow Jesus. That's why we exist, Lord. Jesus, I pray now as we sing to you, that Father, it's a sweet sound that echoes through the corridors of heaven. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray, amen.